The Video Insiders is the show that makes sense of all that is happening in the world of online video, as seen through the eyes of a second-generation Kodak nerd and a marketing guy who knows what iframes and macro blocks are. And here are your hosts, Mark Donegan and Dror Gill. Welcome to another episode of the Video Insiders. Drawer, are you ready to do this? As ready as I'll ever be, I guess. As ready as you'll ever be. Well, after 80 episodes, I, I think I, I think you should be ready. You have a lot of practice. Yes, yes, I think so. And I love it, you know. It's so much fun doing these episodes and hearing interesting stories from our guests and, uh, you know, feeling the pulse of the industry, the video industry, where it is going and what's hot and uh, what is trending. And and also, you know, everybody wants to know what will happen in the future. Of course, uh, each of our uh, guests has their own view on that. But, uh, you know, by integrating it all together, we get a nice uh, picture of where on average everybody thinks, you know, the industry is going. And that's nice. That's right. Well, today, uh, you know, we always talk to video insiders, but Today, we have a video insider that I think everybody is going to be super uh, interested and excited to hear from. And, you know, this company, Drawer, I think you remember. Um, do you remember seeing them at IBC in, I don't know, 2014, maybe, in their jumpsuits? Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Couldn't it's, miss them. Yeah, you couldn't miss them. Well, we are talking to Guido Miardi, who is the CEO and co-founder of Vinova. And Guido, first of all, welcome to the Video Insiders. Thank you, guys. You know, thank you and congratulations because this podcast is marvelous. You, you had a great idea and great implementation. So, you know, I'm very honored to be here with you. And- and actually, now that you made me th- think about that time, my God. No. <laughs> what were we thinking? <laughs> my God, I still, I still, because we also did another thing. We announced that we, we came out of stealth uh, on April 1st. And was it 2014? No, it was 15, 15. 15, okay. April 15, 1st of April 15, I still remember. And it was my idea to do it for April 1st because I wanted it to be fun. It wasn't necessarily a good idea, I must say, with hindsight. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say with hindsight, we would do a lot of things differently. But, you know, it was fun. We, we all would, Guido. <laughs> yeah. But, but we are here today and you've made an amazing journey and we followed it because we met you at various NABs and IBCs. And streaming media. Yeah, streaming and- media, <laughs> West and yeah. East and, uh, and through the standardization process. And, and it's really an amazing journey and I think it will be fascinating for our audience to hear about it. Uh, but first, uh, why don't you tell us a bit about uh, your, your personal background and experience? I am a, an engineer and a kind of mixture between a business person and a scientist. Of course, you know, my background when I founded Vinova was not necessarily the best one because for 16 years I had been a senior partner at McKinsey, so I was seen as a business person. And so, you know, what is this business person doing in data coding and how on earth can he be co-author, you know, of a codec? And, uh, you know, but in fact, you know, if somebody kind of goes back, uh, I was working in coding in the 90s and, you know, I studied at MIT. I, I do have a background that is also scientific. I write code. I did write quite some code that is in the code base. Uh, you still write code? So, yeah, sometimes I do. You know, it's like I, I like to keep fresh also because, you know, it's uh, it's useful to kind of know what, what's happening. I'm fairly vertical. As, as people in MPEG knows... <laughs> I can go pretty deep <laughs> and and I like it. You know, I like to, to kind of keep 
business and science uh, close by. And I have also an entrepreneurial background before. You know, I come from a family of entrepreneurs. So, you know, that also helped when I took the decision to take the plunge. Second generation entrepreneur, right? Like Amazing. The announcer says I'm a second generation codec nerd and you're a second generation entrepreneur. He's like a third generation entrepreneur. So. Third generation. <laughs> wow. 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 That's, yeah, that's a legacy. Runs, uh, you know, it runs deep. Runs deep. Yeah. Yeah, that really is remarkable. You know, I knew about your consulting background, um, but I guess I didn't realize then, you know, you studied at MIT and, you know, it, it's really amazing. And I think, boy, you know, Dora and I talk about it a lot uh, and, and you can see it throughout the industry. So many great innovations and breakthroughs that fail because they didn't connect to a market, you know. And so the fact that you are both a technologist, but a business person, and you go deep in both, is, is really unusual. I can't think of too many examples. <laughs> Usually people are one or the other. And actually, yeah, it, it, it's really also the nature of the technology, because if, if we think about what we have done was trying really, you know, the design criteria were market-driven, uh, because it was about creating something that could be used and didn't require necessarily... ASIC hardware acceleration, which would have made it impossible to deploy it at scale in uh, in reasonable times. So the how-to, technologically speaking, was a consequence of the design criteria, which was strictly a business criterion. So let's jump right in. And you know, there's so much we could talk about. But um, I know for this interview, we really want to talk about LCEVC. Let's start there and you know explain what is LCEVC? And, uh, you know, where are the components behind it? How does it work? Give us the scoop. Absolutely. You know, first of all, it's quite a mouthful in terms of acronym, and it stands for Low Complexity Enhancement Video Coding. And most importantly, it's not a codec. And that's, again, going to market requirements was important because creating a full-blown video codec would actually compete with a lot of other video codecs and would have been very difficult to create something like that because typically it has you know some some frictions uh, to create well instead lcvc is an enhancement codec which means a complementary tool that enhances any and all other video codecs rather than being an alternative or a substitute to any of them essentially what it does is that it extends the compression capability of the codec that it enhances called base codec making it better and faster. So it compresses better, and it's also faster in terms of processing, both at encoding and decoding, so that it provides higher quality to more people at lower costs and also lower energy consumption. Most importantly, it was designed to reuse hardware acceleration that is already available in pretty much any silicon chip that plays back video on the planet. And uh, that is particularly important because it means that it can be retrofitted if, if one wants on existing products, or at least also on future products, but using chips that are already being produced, that are already in the stockpiles, etc. And that, of course, is very important to implementation. It's also backward compatible because it's an enhancement. So it also has a feature that we remember from black and white TV that became color TV. Uh, you know, if you have a color TV, you see color. If you don't, you, you still see at least black and white like before. And uh, when you have an enhancement layer, this is what happens. So if you have an upgrade that allows you to see it, you see better quality, but at least you always have a, an ultimate fallback uh, for kind of that long tail of very old devices 
that you still want to deliver to, but not necessarily do you care so much about the quality that they receive. And it allows you to still have catch-all workflows, avoid to do simulcasting of a lot of videos or simul transcoding of a lot of videos to take care of all the fringes of devices on the market. It provides also a platform for additional enhancements, and that's also pretty interesting. So it can act as a sort of retrovirus, as I like to say, for things like HDR and also super resolution because it can allow to perform corrected super resolution, which is important because a lot of people talk about super resolution. But sometimes if we are watching a football game or a soccer game and we see a Nike logo, we want to see the Nike logo and not confuse it with a Louis Vuitton logo. Or if we look at the crowd, I want to see Kate and William and not two faces that look like humans. And so, uh, you know, the possibility to correct with the real details essentially allows to preserve uh, director's intent, let's say, also also when, uh, when encoding the details. So LCVC is all that. It allows to enhance video in terms of compression and power. And the essence of the technology, as I understand it, is that instead of sending a full resolution video to the other side, you're sending a lower resolution version of that video and some additional metadata. And then on the decode side, you can reconstruct the full resolution from the low resolution with the addition of that uh, metadata, right? Correct, absolutely. And uh, that creates two nice effects because when you focus a traditional conventional DCT-based codec on a lower resolution, very often you make it more efficient and effective because, of course, it's faster because it operates on a lower pixel count, but also compaction of energy and all the things that the traditional DCT transforms do, they tend to work better at lower resolution because they were invented for lower resolutions in the first place. You know, it's also what we see with convex hulls that, you know, lower resolution sometimes work better. For what concerns details, the transforms of LCVC, despite being very fast, they were designed to efficiently compress details. When you have like a dot or a line or edges, etc., if you try to compress them accurately with a 64 by 64 blocks, you may need a lot of coefficients for just one dot. Uh, so it's actually much better to use different transforms that are smaller, and it's exactly what LCVC does with 2x2, two 4x4 two, four four transforms that are not DCT-based, but they are designed uh, for details. And so at the same time, they are faster, massively parallel, but also more efficient. And so the combination of these two things, plus a smart upsampling, which we could say is a very simplified version of a super resolution. So uh, it's not a super resolution because it would be too complex uh, from a complexity standpoint, but it's a little bit better than a normal upscaling uh, because it has a nonlinear component uh, that is encoder driven. So the encoder knows what the content is and drives the, the upsample to be a little bit smarter. And then you correct with the actual details. And the combination of all this works pretty well because it's very fast, uh, makes the base codec more efficient and faster, and compresses quite well. Mm -hmm. What is the compute overhead for LCEVC? Normally, the compute is actually not an overhead, but uh, you gain a lot of compute. It's an overhead over the lower resolution encode, but it's less compute than the higher resolution encode. Exactly. Because normally, for instance, um, let's take H.264. For H.264, you have a quarter resolution. It doesn't exactly take a quarter of the time in terms of processing, but it's like 30%. So you save a lot of power there. Then you add a little bit, but where you land, depending on the preset, depending on a number of things on the 
processor that you do it with are you doing it on the cpu or a gpu etc but on average you get to about 50 percent of the original full resolution so with h264 you have a 2x benefit but if you go to more sophisticated codecs like hevc then essentially lcvc starts becoming almost negligible and so you save like 3x you're like 70 percent more efficient in terms of power and if you go to vvc or av1 you you essentially get to the power of doing a quarter resolution so you know it's almost four times faster and actually at the decoding also something similar happens there's a nice analysis that we're about to publish together with uh, meta and uh, intel at this spie conference in august uh, that will show the decoding benefits uh, with AV1, also the encoding one, but the decoding are particularly important because you need to decode in software. And so, you know, it allows to expand uh, the range of devices that you can deliver AV1 to and also save battery life, which is important. And it works quite well. Also, the other nice thing, which is a little tidbit of silicon, uh, when you work on mobile devices, even if LCVC is executed theoretically in software, but in reality it's practically in hardware because it uses pipelines that are heavily accelerated uh, in the CPU or the GPU. And since the silicon component is already turned on, so for instance, when you're doing video processing, uh, video display, the GPU is turned on on a mobile phone. So LCVC rides on a piece of silicon that is already turned on and was already consuming power, so it almost comes for free. You know, there's only very little energy addition uh, for the DRAM accesses, but then you save also the same DRAM accesses for the base that operates at lower resolution. And so you get a sort of magic that it consumes, even if it's running software, it consumes as much as uh, hardware decoding, which sometimes people are like, how is it possible? But it's really because of this. How do you test the output, the outcome of the LCV EVC encoded stream? How do you compare it to a full resolution stream? Is this something that you do with a quality measure or with subjective testing where you ask a lot of users, does it look the same as encoding a full resolution or... How did you verify that, that it works the same as encoding the full resolution stream? It's, it's all the same thing. When, when you compare quality, as you, as you well know, uh, being in the industry, there are tons of ways to do it. There are multiple objective metrics, each uh, with their own quirks and, uh, and uh, characteristics. Yeah, yeah. We, we talked a lot about metrics in, in this podcast. That means we talked about quirks a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, we open a can of worms with metrics, but, uh, you know, in general, some metrics are better than others. Uh, for instance, um, with multi-resolution, PSNR is an example of a metric that is known, uh, doesn't work particularly well, not because it doesn't capture something valuable, because it does, but just the profile of mean square error when you have multi-layer coding, not just LCVC, but any type of codex uh, that that essentially encode in multi-resolution. It operates um, differently because for instance, uh, now that you see my black hair against a white background, um, what happens when you have a codec that is multi-resolution is that you may generate uh, relatively bigger errors uh, between the black and the white, uh, which are subjectively irrelevant, but on mean square error become a punch in the face. And then you're much more precise on the general stuff, uh, which viewers appreciate, uh, but in terms of MSC, they count less. So you have a profile of PSNR that is very irregular. 
And so PSNR is not a good metric, but other metrics like VMAF uh, can work, VMAF NEG can work, uh, SSIM plus can work, each with their own uh, uh, quirks. Subjective is ground truth, but it's costly to do formal MOS. At MPEG, uh, we've done it all. So we've done pretty much all the possible metrics uh, on Earth, uh, plus all the possible visual quality assessments. Of course, uh, considering that it was such a new technology, everybody at the beginning didn't believe, and correctly so, because you know skepticism is fine uh, in science uh, that it would work. So it was tested to death, <laughs> I would say, <laughs> in all the possible ways. And luckily, you know, everybody concluded that it does work. <laughs> but it was like you know a long journey of doing all possible tests on the planet. So let's let's talk about uh, the MPEG process because this is really something amazing to me. You know, almost. Every company that I've met that has some proprietary video technology tells me, yeah, we're going to standardize it, and then we're going to get royalties from everyone who's going to use the standard. We're going to drive it through MPEG. <laughs> and I'm saying like, yeah, sure you're going to do that, of course. Yeah, of course. Good luck. <laughs> and as you know, the MPEG coding standards like H.264, HEVC, VVC, all of those are collaborative work of a lot of companies that come together, each one donate their technology, and together they create the standard. But with LCEVC, it's one company, right, Vinova, that came with a proprietary technology for improving video coding and managed to standardize it. So I'm sure a lot of our listeners from those companies I mentioned before are asking themselves, how did you do it? How, how is it possible? How did you do it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a bit like, uh, you know, when uh, when you have somebody that kind of jumped on a barrel, go, went to Niagara Falls and survived, you know, it's like, I don't know. <laughs> Actually, I was lucky. I was lucky. <laughs> Here's the real question, Guido. Would you do it again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, definitely I would. You know, it was the best thing that we've done, you know, by far. And I thank, uh, you know, Thierry, who kicked me literally to do it. Uh, uh, and he was right. No, the, the thing is, we were lucky because of the fact that it was already the third generation of our technology, because essentially the process in MPEG is actually very strict and very sensible and very serious. And uh, our proposal came as a response to market needs submitted to MPEG in 2018 by over 30 big industry players that had tried our technology before, so they knew that it worked. And then you follow the typical MPEG process. Uh, the MPEG process is very, very strict and rigorous. And I can say, if we had gone there with the first generation or even the second generation of our technology, probably would, we would have died of a bad death. And, uh, you know, in a way, it was lucky that we arrived there at the third generation. So we were much, much more prepared to undergo the very serious independent validations that happened there. After that, you know, to be honest, uh, uh, it was a very structured process uh, with very good people, amazing people, you know, very intellectually honest people. So people that when I arrived there, nobody was believing in anything that I was saying, but they were prepared to listen and they listened and tested and changed their mind and then became helpers and supporters, contributors, editors, cross-checkers. And so the process was very collaborative and we made a lot of friends. You know, frankly, I have tons of friends at MPEG. I can't think of anybody that didn't become a friend, including people that at the beginning, they were correctly skeptic. It makes sense because there are a lot of people that come with very fancy claims and we looked exactly like them. 
plus I personally, you know, I was leading the charge. I didn't have any credibility. You know, of course, knowing me and I, and working with me now, I do have credibility also as a scientific person. But at the beginning, of course, I didn't at all. So I still remember a person telling me that I was a walking embarrassment to the category, the fact that I was there. (laughs) (laughs) You have to love standards, people. They don't mince words. (laughs) Exactly. But it's, I love that, you know, that was so helpful that they were straightforward. It was so helpful because we made friends very quickly and we collaborated and the process is so serious. So, so, you know, it's very well done. We learned a lot uh, and, and we were happy to contribute, frankly, and we are happy to contribute more and more because we are still working hard uh, in collaborative processes uh, within MPEG. Like, for instance, we are contributing to MPEG Immersive Video. We are contributing to other initiatives. It's a, it's a very nice community. So let's talk about market adoption. You know, technologies are great, but just developing the technology doesn't um, pay the bills. But, you know, even setting the the commercial aspect aside, at the end of the day, if we can't get it deployed and if it can't have a real meaningful impact in the ecosystem, then it's academic, right? And there are MPEG standards that went nowhere. Hundreds of people worked on them. And I, I won't mention numbers of MPEG like whether these are odd numbers or numbers (laughs) divisible by three, but whatever, or seven, I don't know, whatever numbers, (laughs) some of those numbers, MPEG something, did not uh, see the light of day. I mean, they they were published, they were approved, but nobody in the industry used them. So a lot of people got to travel to nice exotic places to work on on the committee, but nothing happened with those uh, standards. So uh, yeah, we're very eager to hear uh, what is happening with LCEVC because as industry insiders, we do hear a lot about the, the standards, at least people asking about it. Right, Mark? Uh, absolutely. A hundred percent. I mean, in my travels, you know, the companies I work with, LCEVC is more and more um, being talked about, evaluated, even adopted. So Guido, tell us. Um, Adoption is going extremely well, especially in consideration of the fact that LCVC, sometimes people forget, but it was published in November 2021. So you know, essentially seven, not even eight months ago. So it's actually very recent uh, and uh, it's a testament precisely to the business rationales that it was already deployed and it's already integrated in a lot of uh, ecosystem uh, components precisely because it can. And so, you know, it's actually something that is happening very fast. So for instance, of course, the first very public and most important possibly instance of adoption of LCVC happened immediately in January when uh, the Brazilian government approved the SPTVD TV 3.0 specification. And uh, essentially what that means uh, is that LCVC was included as a mandatory component of the new broadcast and broadband standard that will be used in uh, Latin America and some countries in Africa. And that's important, not just because it's a big market. It will happen, of course, uh, you know, there's a timeline. It'll start in 2024 and then 2025, etc. So it's a longer process, but at least it guarantees that LCVC will be a successful standard because essentially it's actually going uh, to a number of people. And we started, of course, um, to work in order to anticipate that timeline. So, for instance, uh, with Global and a number of ecosystem partners, we're working hard to try to uh, put a channel live, the first uh, 
public LCVC uh, channel in time for uh, the Doha World Cup this autumn. So, you know, that would be extremely good. And uh, there are a number of very committed partners to, to make it happen. So, you know, let's say knock on wood and uh, crossing fingers that will happen. And uh, it should be the first uh, trial on fire on essentially a public channel that is deployed across all Brazil with the World Cup. So, you know, pretty nice. So, you know, essentially that's kind of the first uh, strong instance of adoption. It's very important because it's driving ecosystem adoption because, of course, the Latin American market and Brazil are big markets. And so uh, for encoder vendors, chipset manufacturers, TV manufacturers, set-of-box manufacturers, uh, that was very important. And uh, it's also the reason why many big names were at NAB in uh, the LCVC booth uh, and many more will be also at IBC where there will be a number of very compelling uh, demos uh, that are somewhat related to SPTVD and uh, and what is going on uh, with Global TV and other actors in Latin America. So that, of course, is very important. But let me take a step back in adoption because, of course, you know, we all want to hear, definitely I'm the first in line, uh, about more names of service providers. But there are inevitably some steps to follow and uh, we had to follow kind of the proper steps because before adopting, service providers may like a technology but first of all, they need to be able to use a codec. Otherwise, it's just a piece of science you know, and uh, we don't do much with that. So remembering that, as I said before, the standard is fresh. It was very important to start enabling the ecosystem. And in that sense, we are seeing, you know, even potentially more interest than we would have imagined, uh, possibly also thanks to the Latin American uh, adoption. But from all angles of the ecosystem, we're working very hard with partners to make sure that uh, solutions are enabled uh, with LCVC. So we have encoder vendors such as Harmonic and Make Concept that integrated LCVC. We have platforms providers like CanCode, Visaic, SimpleStream, RedFi Pro, you know, small and large that have integrated and then are now offering to their um, customers the possibility to use it. Player vendors like Theo, silicon manufacturers like NVIDIA, AMD, Intel didn't announce it, but, you know, we are publishing a paper, you know, it's public uh, in August uh, at SPIE, as I mentioned, it's in partnership with Intel. So, you know, of course, you know, we're, do we're doing work also with them. Set-to-box and TV chipsets like Amlogic uh, that actually power up uh, a lot of TVs and set-to-boxes. OEMs like Videon, SCI Robotics, a huge set-of-box manufacturer uh, in Latin America, but also in other parts of the world. And many more LCVC products uh, will be presented in a couple of months at IBC. So we are very eager to show kind of the evolution from these names in April to many more names and products uh, that will follow in September. At the same time, it was also important to make available software libraries that vendors and customers alike can rapidly integrate. And for instance, we released the LCVC SDK, but also the low-level NDK for driver integration, for instance, in chipsets. Um, and we contributed uh, plugin-free uh, HTML5 decoding to Google's Shaka player. If it's not already merged, it should be merged pretty soon, which means that for web playback uh, with Shaka, it, it'll be extremely easy. It will come already right off the bat for people to have LCVC playback and are currently in the process of contributing LCVC capabilities also to other important open source projects. And that's, of course, very important because a lot of people like to play with them, sometimes deploy them, but sometimes it's just useful to see 
how something works and touch uh, with their hands what it is. So these things are extremely important. And of course, they trickle back to customers because there are then small customers uh, like, you know, American Football International for live sports uh, that are uh, launching the first services in uh, LCC pretty soon. Or, you know, bigger ones like Racy uh, for certain things. Uh, defense contractors, even things like Naughty Media, you know, Leonardo, you know, integrated already in helicopters and drones. And uh, potentially now we will extend also to land, uh, land video. So there are many POCs and pilots in process uh, with broadcasters, media companies, uh, and also, you know, smaller operators. Of course, as I mentioned, uh, it's first and foremost important to work on the ecosystem enablement because the more LCVC is easy to use, the better it is. Otherwise, up until you need to do integrations that are custom, etc., it's only for early adopters that are motivated enough. When it becomes embedded in products that people already know and love and use, and it's much easier because it's something that makes sense, it's inexpensive, and why not? Do you have any silicon implementations or do you envision any silicon implementations uh, in the future? Yeah, we do. And it's actually one of the things that we invested early on. And uh, I, I still remember as a fun factoid, you know, my co-founder was like, why do we have a hardware team? Why do we want to use it? And my answer was, I don't know. But uh, when, I, when I will know... It will be too late if we haven't done it already. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> that was very wise, by the way. Nice answer, Thank yeah. you. Yeah. No, not easy. Not easy when you don't have revenues and you need to find yes, yourself. Yes, yes, yes. And you're saying we need to go hire a team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But luckily we did. And so we do have um, uh, RTL implementations for both encoding and decoding. By the way, the decoding, we were quite ambitious. We did it up to 16K, 120 hertz, uh, which... LCVC allows with very limited gate count. So for certain applications, of course, one of the benefits of LCVC is that you don't need it. But in reality, for the future, since it's a little bit of a drop in the ocean in terms of uh, throwing some gates, uh, if you are designing new chips, especially for certain applications that will require extreme low power and potentially will not have a GPU on the device, uh, it's actually wise to uh, to use uh, silicon implementations of LCVC. You know, not necessarily media, but you know, I'm thinking if one thinks about smart glasses of AR that need to consume one watt, they will not have a GPU, they will not have a number of ARM cores. It's better to have uh, video decoding completely in ASIC. Um, so for those applications, it makes total sense to use the, the IP block. I believe we will present it officially in uh, at IBC, but we've already shown it uh, at uh, DVB and other settings. So it's pretty known that we have it. Now, which codecs are you seeing the initial adoption? Uh, you know, since LCEVC works with any codec standard, you know, is there kind of a natural pairing that you're seeing or any trends? You know, now we are out of the tunnel, but I wanted to cry at the beginning because, you know, when you are like a relatively small company where 80 people, you would like to focus. And of course, everybody says, you know, focus on something, etc. And then, you know, we are working, of course, with big tech titans because, you know, our supporters are big companies. And I was hoping to kind of find, okay, we all go for enhancing AVC, enhancing, you know, choose. In reality, we had to do everything and uh, you know it was a bit laughable but uh, but that was also one of the 
items of hard work of everybody that worked with LCVC because in reality, AVC is the most widely adopted codec. And so, of course, a lot of use cases come up uh, with AVC. But in reality, you know, for instance, for SBTVD, it works with HVC and VVC. For instance, at IBC, we will be showcasing LCVC in combination with VVC, which actually works very well for a number of things. Uh, but also AV1, because for instance, AUM members are very keen on AV1. And so, as I mentioned before, we've been working with Meta and uh, Intel on uh, on AV1 and uh, showcasing the value of LCVC in combination with AV1. But, but also, it's not just codecs, it's also rate control modes, it's specific implementations, because it's like phone encoding for certain things, or sometimes instead you are on a server, CPU encoding, but then you have NVENC, uh, on GPU encoding, and so, you know, it's like... You... All over the place. The nice part is that it was a lot of work with a lot of partners and, you know, thankfully a lot of companies that actually put effort as well together with us. And now we are in a very good place because uh, all of these use cases are coming to light. Uh, it's very difficult, however, to say which one is the best. You know, your guess is as, as good as mine because in reality, they are all coming up uh, pretty much at the same time and it's like those you remember that game of horses that run and you never know which one uh, which one wins that's right yeah yeah you know the challenge in video is everybody has their own you know their own specific use case and and what's important to them and what they're optimizing for and of course that's exactly really what you just said is from a vendor perspective, a technology developer, it makes it just so hard because it's not possible to just say, okay, we're going to bring this one or this two, you know, or maybe three to market. No, you have to support like 12 or 15. But I have to say something about the name, LCEVC. The name is terrible. EVC <laughs> is a so codec. Okay, yeah. it's a codec uh, standardized by MPEG. It's between HEVC and VVC, and it has a base, a base version and a main version. And it's MPEG-5 as well. <laughs> and it's MPEG-5 as well. And LCEVC has no connection to that codec except the name, right? That's right. Zero. Yeah, correct. So why? <laughs> it's so confusing. You know how many people in the industry come to me and say, oh, LCEVC, I guess that works only with EVC, right? You know, because of the name. So couldn't they find a name <laughs> that's unique to the codec? As I said, MPEG is a phenomenally good institution. Unfortunately, it has some processes for naming. <laughs> if it was ITU, then you could have two names, which is great, right? H264 AVC, H265 HVC. That's even more confusing. But now you have one name, but it's a terrible name. Which is also a tongue twister. You, you have no idea how many teams that we work with, you know, still, you know, when they need to pronounce LCVC, they're all like, let's LC, you know, they're like, you know, you, you see the tongue that starts getting. It's, it's confusing and uh, difficult to pronounce. So, yeah, terrible name. No, it takes more to pronounce than to compress the video. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. You know, let's talk about the future. And um, of course, we can get all dreamy and talk about some future state in 10 years. You know, I don't think we need to go there, but it would be interesting for you to share your perspective. You know, what are some of the interesting use cases that might be just over the horizon and anything that maybe you're working on or some, you know, some companies you're working with might be doing that you can give us some clues into? 
you know, let's start with the common use cases, because of course, in our sector, we can separate three big markets, uh, roughly, you know, the, the broadcast market, which is kind of the traditional broadcast market. And of course, there are applications, TV 3.0 is an example, you know, it's SBTVD, what is being discussed at DVB, which is similar in part is another example. Then there's OTT streaming, you know, whether it is with mobile devices or to smart TVs. And of course, we all understand those use cases. They are important, you know, both broadcasting and OTT require heavily ecosystem enablement. So, you know, these things will happen, but for the big things to happen, it'll take some time because there are a number of things to enable, but it, it's happening. Then, you know, there are things related to user-generated content, social, etc., that can be much quicker. So, you know, these are things that could see the light of the day already in 2023 in big fashion, and that's what we hope. And there are very nice things there because they go along the lines of distributing video more efficiently, but also contributing video more efficiently. So also phone encoding that can also allow to have better quality sources that actually trickles back ultimately to a number of things. Augmenting or increasing the reach of HDR content, um, accelerating the deployment of new codecs such as AV1 in one camp, you know, the user-generated camp and VVC in the other camp. Uh, so they kind of broadcast OTT, more traditional camp. And so, you know, those are kind of traditional use cases, but they are all uh, interesting. And web video also, you know, making sure that web video, web advertising can be better, faster, etc. you know, of course are typical. And hopefully all this uh, will impact megawatts as well as megabits because also megawatts are increasingly important uh, yeah our, our last episode we interviewed dom robinson from greening of streaming so yeah dom is great you know we just joined uh, officially and uh, you know dom is awesome i hope you talked about uh, quantum physics also with him because you know, always, <laughs> not in this episode but uh, that'll be in a follow-up episode yeah i <laughs> know it's important it's important to talk about quantum physics and i'm glad that dom uh, dom is a super practitioner and uh, you know i am too so you know <laughs> Sometimes we talk about that more than coding. Um, but, um, you know, joking aside, uh, the uh, low latency video applications are other applications where LCVC can help a lot. So, you know, from things that are expanding, becoming more important, like betting to cloud gaming, we're seeing big giants that are entering the space. So it's becoming from something that was a bit in the fringe. We've seen big media companies that uh, mentioned it as one of their priorities. And, uh, you know, big streaming companies that mentioned it uh, as one of their priorities. So, you know, cloud gaming is becoming important. And of course, LCVC can help a lot there uh, because when you are in ultra low latency, temporal tools cannot help much. It's a lot about spatial compression tools and uh, LCVC can help a lot there and can also help from a power point of view because it's very much one-to-one so the cost of encoding is relevant. And then there are a lot of use cases that may or may not be interesting to people that follow media, but are actually interesting as human beings because, you know, they go from applications in healthcare, uh, like, uh, for instance, uh, we're working with uh, companies that do sort of video conferencing in surgery uh, rooms uh, where quality sometimes, you know, means seeing much better what's going on. And so, you know, bringing LCVC to those applications can train surgeons much better. And also sectors such as e-learning or automotive or industry where, where video is more and more pervasive. And so, you know, it kind of makes sense to make it higher quality, lower cost, uh, lower footprint. There are a lot of use cases. The most important thing is making sure that they can scale 
almost automatically because of course if they all rely on few companies doing stuff it's got it's going to be slow so it's mostly making sure that all the companies that are pushing lcc can enable as many solution providers as possible to be autonomous and do their business the licensing model is very easy you know it's essentially free for integration and super low cost for usage so it's pretty easy to do with it whatever people want to do with it you know it's interesting when i think about the use cases you just mentioned Almost all of them either require ultra low latency or are live or low latency. And that's really exciting because often advanced new technologies um, and partially because of maybe compute requirements, uh, either on the encoding side or on the decoding side, um, can only be applied in file-based workflows. And so, uh, you know, I think back to even the very beginnings of like, you know, content adaptive, you know, the CAE type technologies. And initially now, of course, you know, with Beamer and, you know, I'm sure there's others, it is applied to real time. But, you know, that's something that really sticks out to me is all of the use cases you mentioned were basically real time, you know, real time streaming, which is really exciting because, uh, that means that no longer is there sort of like the VOD workflow, you know, where we can get great quality, you know, very low bit rate, but, you know, it requires a lot of compute. Now it's like we can extend, you know, the quality, the bit rate uh, efficiency and all that to even live streaming workflows, which is uh, which is great. Yeah. And live real time is really name of the game for everything. Exactly. And as we all know, really all of the video platforms are ultimately migrating to be live. And going back to what we were saying earlier, that's another business criterion that we've always had. So, you know, for instance, in in the way I set up the company at the beginning, you know, I always told my people, if you cannot do it fast, forget about it. You know, I don't care if it compresses well, <laughs> you know, just do it. And we always worked also in R&D with optimized code precisely because of that. If you cannot do it fast, it doesn't make any sense, at least, you know, for the value that we, we try to bring. Well, congratulations, you know, on all of the progress, just the whole journey. Uh, it's a great story. And if someone wants to uh, kind of play around with LCVC, evaluate it, there's a website they can go and download some tools? Yeah, currently they need to ask us for access, but uh, there's a download portal. So, you know, it's very simple. Docs.vinova.com has kind of a description of the main items of the SDK that are available. The commonly available SDK has some of the tools and then there are many more, but they're all through a download portal. So it's a pretty pretty slick uh, process there are you know various libraries uh, you know for common tools like ffmpeg to play with it uh, or players for exoplayer ios uh, web uh, i mentioned shaka but there's also videojs and hls.js and then phone encoding is joining soon you know i mentioned earlier phone encoding that's a part of the sdk that should be ready by September, but it's in beta currently. So, you know, it's a pretty big SDK with libraries for pretty much anything. And then there's the NDK, which is instead at the lower level. So for chipset manufacturers, and that actually has to do with not using simple compute like CPU or GPU coding, but using special scalers that are available in uh, SOCs that are low power. So, for instance, what we demonstrated with Amlogic, where we use essentially a very low power 
chipset uh, to decode uh, 4K 10 bit also in a secure way that uses scalers and uh, overlay uh, hardware that are part of the display output. So that's another nice thing of LCVC that it can also use these kind of weird blocks that are here and there in the chip that normally are not necessarily used. And so LCVC is kind of like fetching them and whatever can do matrix multiplications. Okay, come here, we can use it. <laughs> okay, so Guido, thanks a lot for uh, joining us on the Video Insiders today. It was really very interesting. Yes, it was. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting. It's always a pleasure. And uh, congratulations because this podcast is great. And I look forward to seeing you soon. Absolutely. Thank you very much. And to all of our listeners, thank you for listening. And uh, we wish all of you, as usual, happy encoding. Happy encoding. And uh, we'll meet next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Video Insiders Podcast. If you'd like to appear on the show, just send an email to thevideoinsiders at beamer.com. That's B-E-A-M-R.com with a brief description on what you're working on and why you think it's interesting for our audience. This podcast is sponsored by Beamer Imaging. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity that they represent.